Bamidbar, egalitarianism, Jewish style. The parashah of Bamidbar is generally read on the Shabbat before Shavuot, Zman Matan Toratenu, the time of the giving of our Lord, the revelation at Sinai. So the sages, believing that nothing is coincidental, search for some connection between the two. To find one isn't easy. There's nothing in the parasha about the giving of the Torah. Instead, it's about a census of the Israelites. Nor is its setting helpful. We're told at the beginning that the events about to be described took place Bamidbara Sinai in the wilderness of Sinai, whereas when the Torah speaks about the great revelation, it speaks about Har Sinai, Mount Sinai. One is a general region, the other a specific mountain within that region. Nor are the Israelites at this stage walking towards Mount Sinai, to the contrary they are preparing to leave. They're about to begin the second part of their journey from Sinai to the promised land. The sages did nonetheless make a connection and it's a surprising one. And God spoke to Moses in the Sinai wilderness, that's the opening of our parasha. Why the Sinai wilderness? From here the sages taught that the Torah was given through three things, fire, water and wilderness. How do we know it was given through fire? Because Exodus 19.18 says, And Mount Sinai was all in smoke as God had come down on it in fire. How do we know it was given through water? As it says in Judges 5.4, the heavens dripped and the clouds dripped water. How do we know it was given through wilderness? As it says, and God spoke to Moses in the Sinai wilderness. And why was the Torah given through these three things? Just as fire, water and wilderness are free to all the inhabitants of the world, so are the words of Torah free to them. As it says in Isaiah 55, 1, O all who are thirsty, come for water, even if you have no money. So the Midrash takes three words associated with Sinai, fire, that was blazing on the mountain just before the revelation, water, based on a phrase in the Song of Deborah, and wilderness, as at the beginning of our parsha, and also in Exodus 19 verses 1 and 2. And it connects them by saying that they are free to all the inhabitants of the world. Now this is not the association most of us would make. Fire is associated with heat, warmth, energy. Water is associated with quenching thirst and making things grow. Wilderness is the space between, neither starting point nor destination, the place where you need signposts and a sense of direction. All three would therefore make good metaphors for the Torah. It warms, it energizes, it satisfies spiritual thirst, it gives direction. Yet that is not the approach taken by the sages. What mattered to them is that all three are free. Staying for a moment with the comparison of terror and wilderness, there were surely other significant analogies that might have been made. The wilderness is a place of silence where you can hear the voice of God. 
The wilderness is a place away from the distraction of towns and cities, fields and farms, where you can focus on the presence of God. The wilderness is a place where you realise how vulnerable you are. You feel like sheep in need of a shepherd. The wilderness is a place where it's easy to get lost and you need some equivalent of a Google Maps of the soul. The wilderness is a place where you feel your isolation and you reach out to a force beyond you. Even the Hebrew name for wilderness, Midbar, comes from the same root as Davar and to speak, Daber. Yet these were not the connections the sages of the Midrash made. Why not? The sages understood that something profound was born at Mount Sinai and has distinguished Jewish life ever since. It was the democratization of knowledge. Literacy and a knowledge of the law were no longer to be confined to a priestly elite. For the first time in history, everyone was to have access to knowledge, education, literacy. The law that Moses gave us is the possession of the assembly of Jacob, the whole assembly, not a privileged group within it. The symbol of this was the revelation at Mount Sinai, the only time in history when God revealed himself not to a prophet or a demigod, but to an entire people who three times signaled their consent to the commands and the covenant. In the penultimate command that Moses gave the people known as Hakhael, he instructed at the end of every seven years in the year for cancelling debts during the festival of tabernacles, when all Israel come to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women and children, and the foreigners residing in your towns, so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Again, note, the whole people, not an elite or a subset within it. Then there's the famous verse of Isaiah. All your children shall be learned of the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. All of your children, not the brightest or the best or the most affluent. This was and remains the unique feature of the Torah as the written constitution of the Jewish people. Everyone is expected not merely to keep the law, but to know it. Jews became a nation of constitutional lawyers. There were two further key moments in the history of this development. The first was when Ezra and Nehemiah gathered the people after the Babylonian exile to the water gate in Jerusalem on Rosh Hashanah and read the Torah to them, placing Levites throughout the crowd to explain to the people what was being said and what it meant. A defining moment in Jewish history that took the form not of a battle but of a massive adult education program. Ezra and Nehemiah realized that the most significant battles in ensuring the Jewish future were cultural, not military. This was one of the most transformative insights in history. The second was the extraordinary creation in the first century of the world's first system 
of universal compulsory education. Here is how the Talmud describes the process, culminating in the work of Joshua ben Gamla, a high priest in the last days of the Second Temple. Truly the name of that man is to be blessed, namely Joshua ben Gamla, for but for him the Torah would have been forgotten for his, from Israel. For at first, if a child had a father, his father taught him, but if he had no father, he didn't learn at all. Then they made an ordinance that the teachers of children should be appointed in Jerusalem. Even so, however, if a child had a father, the father would take him to Jerusalem and have him taught there, but if not, he wouldn't go there to learn. They therefore ordained that teachers should be appointed in each prefecture and that boys should enter school at the age of 16 or 17. They did so. But if the teacher punished them, they used to rebel and leave school. So eventually Joshua ben Gamla came and ordained that teachers of young children should be appointed in each district and each town and that children should enter school at the age of six or seven. Universal compulsory education didn't exist in England at that time the world's leading imperial power until 1870, a difference of 18 centuries. At roughly the same time as Joshua ben Gamla in the first century CE, Josephus could write, Should any one of our nation be asked about our laws, he will repeat them as readily as his own name. The result of our thorough education in our laws from the very dawn of intelligence is that they are, as it were, engraved on our souls. Well, we now understand the connection the sages made between the wilderness and the giving of the Torah. It was open to everyone, and it was free. Neither lack of money nor of aristocratic birth could stop you from learning terror and acquiring distinction in a community in which scholarship was considered the highest achievement. With three crowns, writes Maimonides, was Israel crowned. The crown of terror, the crown of priesthood, and the crown of kingship. The crown of priesthood was conferred on Aaron. The crown of kingship was conferred on David. But the crown of terror is for all Israel. Whoever desires it, let him come and take it. I believe that this is one of Judaism's most profound ideas. Whatever you seek to create in the world, start with education. If you want to create a just and compassionate society, start with education. If you want to create a society of equal dignity, ensure that education is free and equal to all. That is the message the sages took from the fact that we read Bamidba before Shavuot, the festival that recalls that when God gave our ancestors the Torah, he gave it to all of them equally. Shabbat Shalom.